Hello, everyone. Today, <clears throat> we have uh, Syed Akhtar. Welcome. Welcome to myself. I'm happy to be here. Yeah, happy to have you on. been excited for this, actually, for a while. We uh, what started with that little text chain, and then we tried to have this conversation, and then kind of just weaned off, and um, and now, been, you know, finally we're doing we're our own thing. Yeah, yeah, just COVID happens, and you kind of just uh, isolate. You become more isolated. So, um, yeah. But um, just to get the ball rolling with – so you said that you're practicing Ramadan. Ramadan started recently, I think – yesterday is it within the week i think right it was like three or four days ago yeah okay for sure yeah so uh yeah how could you tell me about that yeah sure thing um so it's a it's a muslim holiday first of all i feel mm -hmm. is the most obvious uh and important i just put a starburst in my mouth i don't know why i did that give me a second to chew okay um anywho yeah it's a it's a muslim holiday uh, <laughs> Starburst is choking the shit out of me. Damn. Smooth start. <laughs> yeah, really smooth. Um, something in my mind told me, like, put something in your mouth while he's talking <laughs> so that you don't talk over him. And then you wanted me to talk so soon. And I was like, shit. <laughs> um, Sorry. No, it's fine. Uh, so it's basically like, think of it, the best way I could describe it is kind of like a, a reset. Like the, the the whole month is kind of centered around reflection, spirituality, being the best version of yourself. Um, so Muslims they they fast from uh, sunrise. Basically, you, you can eat in the time between sunset and sunrise, and you're supposed to pray five times a day, which is already a part of the religion. But like during the month, like I said, like it's kind of like a recentering. Mm -hmm. um so if you're not religious usually like it's kind of like okay like we get you're busy with your job and your life and your family and whatever take this month to like actually pray and like oh. actually follow the religion so like you'll see like a lot of muslim people like especially in like pop culture um or like celebrities will get really religious like during ramadan and then like go back to living their life afterward because it's kind of like the month that counts um, for lack of a better term. And, uh, yeah, I mean, that's, that's basically it. Like you can't eat, um, the whole day. You can't drink any water. I know that's a big one. Like, especially Christians who fast are like, what? No water. Cause like, I know like <laughs> during Christian fasts, like you can drink water. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, no water. Uh, you're supposed to abstain from sex, uh, like tobacco, drugs, um, basically anything that's considered like sinful, um, so yeah, that, that that's oh. kind of it. It's it's kind of just like a month of uh, of cleansing, like recentering, um, getting closer with your spirituality, uh, and it's it's just kind of uh, like the big month. Like if you're not going to be a Muslim throughout the whole year, like this is the month like where you should like try. Yeah. Essentially, you kind of reconcile your uh, sure yeah, yeah yeah your dedication yeah and it's a, it's a very communal time like um if you were to go to any mosque like during the month of ramadan like there would be the most amount of people there just because like everyone's supposed to pray so why not go do it at the mosque yeah and see your buddy or whatever the hell <laughs> um so it's it's stuff like that 
Mm-hmm. Um, very communal, very like, like I said, like a, a really big recentering. Like I keep repeating that word, but it's yeah. kind of like, even for myself, like someone who um, we were talking a little bit before the show. And I, I was like, if I had to describe myself, I'd probably say I'm agnostic. Like I find like not even through like a desire of my own, but like just kind of like by being home and like here, like during the month and like when everyone's like being really um, religious and like spiritual and like kind and like everyone's trying to be like on their best behavior, it just kind of makes me want to follow suit. Like it's, it has this weird effect where I'm like, maybe I do like, yeah, believe in religion, you know, kind of a law of attraction. Yeah. Where, where you're, yeah. you're in the environment. So you just, uh, you just kind of embrace that. Sure. That's interesting. I didn't know. I, I never thought of, I mean, I know the bear, all I know about Ramadan was the fasting element of it. And that it, it, uh, it was a part of the, uh, Muslim religion. But other than that, I mean, I didn't really, I'd, I'd actually had a conversation with, uh, in, a, in an earlier podcast about, <clears throat> uh, this, about, uh, Islam and how this connection of Islam and spirituality, um, how, so with that, how would you say that, um, this month, I mean, obviously it gives you time because you, you know, you, you kind of center yourself on this, on this, uh, sense of spirituality but what do you do what specifically do you do to you know uh kind of i don't know what it is reinvigorate that that spirituality well i think it's 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 all the the self-discipline like it's really all about self-discipline like you're you're supposed to go the whole day i mean there are exceptions to fasting like uh if you're menstruating for example like if you're on your period you don't have to fast obviously because like your body's being torn apart yeah. or uh, if you're pregnant obviously you don't have to <laughs> fast because there's a human being inside you <laughs> yeah. um if you're traveling like say like you're the sole breadwinner and like you have to go on a business trip across the fucking globe like yeah you you don't have to fast mm-hmm. um but if you're doing nothing um it's kind of your responsibility to fast and it's self-discipline, but it's also like an exercise in empathy because like going the whole day without eating or drinking a single thing will make you understand what it is like to be hungry Yeah, more than anything. Like think about that, especially if like you have a job, like a nine to five, like think about it. Sunrise is around five something and sunset isn't until like seven 50 in the evening. So you go the whole day working 14 hours, almost exactly nothing to eat, nothing to drink. Yeah. And I'm not saying it's like this gargantuan, like nobody can do it, but like it, it builds that empathy, you know, like it makes you think like there are less fortunate people than me. Like my, Mm -hmm. this is not how I would be. This isn't my like standard life, you know? Yeah. It's kind of an experiment testing your, uh, like your self-discipline and that, yeah. that, um, and also it, it tests that, that ability to, um, to not, you know, focus on, Oh, I just got to eat like, yeah, but you got to do other things now because you know, you can't eat until the sun goes down. So you have to, to occupy yourself. Um, and that's, yeah. but, uh, it's interesting because <clears throat> I mean, like the, the closest thing I've had to fasting was, uh, here on the ranch, I started, 
I didn't eat. Well, I ate at four thirty in the morning because uh, we had we had to go work at I don't know like five, and um, but I didn't eat again until three thirty, and I mean it's a long time, but it's that's still I mean, that's still three less like almost or maybe even more three less hours than um, than a typical day of fasting. But right there, I mean. I was walking around chasing cows, sorting off cows, pushing cows different places and, and kind of doing this thing consistently all day. And I was just to go wait to eat lunch. And then I had another meal after that. But that um that right that time period was a really, really surreal thing where it went, okay, well, you can you can keep complaining to your mind about not eating food, but you you can't do anything about it. And so you gotta you gotta find these things that occupy your mind and uh, and makes it uh, it is it is really spiritually um, a recentering thing. And obviously, I didn't do it for a month straight, so I, I don't have that full on experience. But like, I get I get what you're saying about it. Kind of, it's like my level was the lowest level, and then you got the Ramadan, whereas if you or the Ramadan experience where you have. Um, if you are fortunate enough to have three, four to three meals a day, and then you take this time off uh, to, or not time off, but you take this time to, to spend, I mean, up to basically 15 hours uh, without eating food for a month straight, you can then appreciate the kind of the next level and even higher levels of, of what, uh, of famish or famine can be like. And, um, that's a really interesting thing. I just really didn't uh, taking that in con- into consider and into consideration the the mental uh, not toll but effect that that can have on someone. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's definitely uh, it, it's an eye opener when you do it like the first time that you have actual responsibility because when you do it as a kid, it's kind of like a fun thing because like. Mm-hmm you don't do much you're a kid you go to school like yeah you come back like what are you missing like lunch that's it you know but when you do it as an adult when you have like actual like shit to do and like responsibilities like i can't even imagine doing it as like a parent like think about like having to fucking manage your kids and possibly your job as well and just not being able to like drink coffee or water or eat breakfast like i don't know i had a teammate i remember when i was younger that uh it was we were playing soccer during ramadan and it got really hot during one of our games up to like 105 or something it's weird that it was getting this hot this early but um he he would basically pour water into his mouth and then just hold it in for a little and spit it out and you could see it was just miserable for him playing soccer in those conditions Oh yeah, yeah that, uh, that was it was weird to see. I mean, not weird, but it was just really crazy to see that kind of thing. Um, Hakeem Olajuwon, who who played for the the Houston Rockets in in the late '90s, and uh, he won them, I think, two championships mm-hmm. um, when when Jordan was out. Uh, he fasted during the playoffs. Wow, that's tough. And there there are some some photos of him like courtside where you can see him drenched. I'm talking like dripping in sweat. No water. Just like 
bent over, hands on his knees. I'm like, yeah, every Ramadan, you see it on Instagram. It's like, Hakeem the dream, like, <laughs> want a ring, like, during Ramadan. Yeah. Like, That's so, impressive. Yeah. I mean, people do some crazy shit. While they're mm-hmm. fasting for sure well that so well that's interesting because I, I mean i can't imagine in especially i mean it's not uh impossible for sure to be a full-on i wouldn't say conservative muslim more reformative and and um but practicing muslim uh day to day for 365 days a year i think it's um it's probably pretty tough as a as a professional athlete too but that kind of mental toughness, well, two parts. One, the mental toughness of someone like that who will take that. I mean, he, it's one month of the year where he's like, oh, I'll just commit to it. And that's, that's where you kind of, um, you, you go full on. And it ha- just happens to be in like the most stressful time of, of his career, or of his season. Um, that's really impressive. But another element of it was the whole, because um, you were saying you were an agno- you, you more, more identify as an agnostic. Uh, so would you say that as a day-to-day life, uh, your, I guess, philosophical view of the world isn't through this Muslim lens. It only kind of narrows itself, not narrows itself, but it focuses more through that lens, through the Muslim lens uh, during Ramadan, or would you even say that doesn't occur at all, or it, it is the case? In uh, general? Yeah. So I, I was talking about this, like, <sighs> it just kind of like brings you back to your roots Mm -hmm. in a way that like it doesn't happen during the rest of the year. Like there's, there's no reason for me to pray or for me to follow their religion if I don't want to. And like that kind of like differentiates like what I would call devout Muslim and like, um, myself, like an agnostic who was raised in the faith and like I, I still think if I had to believe in a faith, uh, I pick my faith first. But I, I don't even know if I um, agree with the idea of organized religion yet. I, mm-hmm. I'm not sold. Like I, I know that sounds dumb, but like yeah, I, but you're 20 it, years old. You got you got exactly, time to figure that out. Yeah, yeah. exactly. So like uh, I don't know. I I feel like I I need a little bit more time. But like if I were to arrive in one, after having like assessed my options i think i like islam the best um just because i'm a big science guy and like there's a lot of things in the quran um scientifically that are just astounding like the quran talks about the big bang um time dilation yeah i heard about that (laughs) it's like when you hear about like these advanced scientific concepts that we're only just beginning to wrap our minds around. And then you find out, Oh yeah, yeah. There was a book that was written like <laughs> 2000 years, years ago. Back. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they like nail this shit. Like not even like an, Oh, they mention it. Like, Oh no, no, no. Like they, they describe it as we understand it now. And they yeah. thought it was magic back then. <laughs> yeah. That's the crazy thing about like, religion like any religion that has existed for more than a thousand or more than uh, even a thousand years, but more than a thousand years is that the metaphysics was just physics to them. Like yeah. things that, I mean, answers to things were just, Oh God does that or a lot. And the name, the placeholder for God, whoever it is, 
They just yeah. like, oh, they just made this happen and it's magic. And it's, we have no explanation, but it happens. <laughs> we know it happens. Yeah, yeah that, was, that was very observant of the, the, the authors of, that, of, the, of the Quran then. That's really impressive. Um, but with, uh, so yeah, so you said you probably most sold on, on yeah. Islam if you had I, the, And also like, I, I, I think like, if I read it with a, a modern context, which I think that's where I kind of disagree with a lot of um, current, I would say, um, Muslims who, who kind of read it in a context that isn't quite so modern, but isn't quite so dated. Like it's, it's straddling the line where like, this is where I think my parents fall, where it's kind of like, you're essentially like a conservative Christian. Like the, your values pretty much align one-to-one with what a conservative American Christian um, would think like abortion against like, uh, for example, um, premarital sex. No. Um, any type of drug use demonic you know mm-hmm. like it's it's just that kind of um archetype um that gets fulfilled by what i would call like progressive muslims in the oh, sense that like yeah. like they're not like abiding by like strict like what i would consider to be like archaic rules yeah um like they're they've conformed to like modern society but like they're still like on the far right end of modern society yeah dude i highly recommend there's a book and they made a documentary it's um it's called islam and the future of tolerance and it's uh these two guys it's sam harris who is kind of a well-known atheist, like philosopher, neuroscientist, and then Majid Nawaz, who is a, now he's like, a, what is he? He started, a, is it Quilliam, I believe, which is a, it's an organ. I, I haven't like looked at this in a while, but um, you just reminded me. It's a, it's a really, I watched the documentary, phenomenal. I have not read the book yet, but it's really interesting because Majid Nawaz comes from a, he was, he's a, he's from Essex in England and uh, and his family's Pakistani and he, hmm, he basically ended up in, uh, starting, not starting, but he was one of the like high, higher members of this, um, this not extremist, uh, Islamist group, Islamist group. And he, um, and, and he became basically kind of, I mean, he went to jail, I think in Egypt and was tort, I mean, almost tortured and spent, like really found himself in that, in that experience. And, um, uh, and then Sam Harris was like this well-known atheist critical of basically all religions or almost all religions kind of, they come together and they have this, they have this debate and then they actually have a discussion about it and they discuss and they, then they come with this book. And it's really interesting because um, one thing that Sam Harris and Majin Nawaz come together with is there's these concentric circles of belief within Islam. And so there is radical, which is the most extreme. And then there's Islamist, which is like, I'm not going to kill you over things, but the law should be followed by the Quran and um, the, 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 the two other main uh, texts. And then there is conser- the kind of a bigger circle around that is conservative, which is kind of what you were describing with your parents and, and like a good portion 
of, of, uh, of religious people in general. And then there's probably the most people that this encompasses, which is the reformists or reformers. Yeah. Reformist, um, uh, practitioners of the religion, which are, like you said, trying to look at this at the lens of the modern, modern world. Um, because like you said, this is, a. I mean, if you were to read it, if you were to read it whole all through in the lens of when this was written and, but still knowing what you know now about today's world, it seems very archaic. I mean, there's, I think in Judaism, Christianity and in Islam, they, all their texts say own slaves. Like, no, I always go back to that, but it's like a base thing. Like, no, that's not how you do that. There's other things like cut the hands off thieves, stone people. There's like things that just don't apply to today. And I think there's that middle ground that you were saying with conservative uh, followers where it's, all right, don't do that. But there's other things where, all right, you shouldn't, you shouldn't have premarital sex. There should not be abortion. Like there are things that the reformists would go, I'm willing to flex there. I'm willing to bend. Um, It's a really interesting thing to see that, uh, a lot of people, when they see relig- people who follow a certain religion, they think that they're either the radical or conservative. There's no like reformist unless you're an open-minded person who's willing to understand that there's a lot of people, and even even like the most high-end physicists believe in like are Christian followers and not conservative, but very reformed uh, Christians who just have this this modern view of how to how to go about their daily life um and one thing was that what you were mentioning before about the self-involvement of what atheists and agnostics might have i would i would agree with that i would agree that um and i was saying like the sense of the individual that uh is definitely becomes much more apparent with um with an agnostic with a like if you eliminate the greater god the greater kind of uh force of of what is reality and what is life and then there's like with with when you follow religion it seems like there's a community sense i think you can kind of frame it in different ways but there is this whole there is like you are part of something greater than yourself it's a system we don't really know what the system does but it it it, things happen within the system and there is this following that we give it and there's a lot of different there's a spectrum like i was saying the concentric circles of of how people follow that. Um, but going back to the other, the, the godless side, um, there are people like myself who have this sense, who have this sense of, cause obviously you're not generalizing, but like, I'm just going to pr- promote a, like an alternative version of this, of this agnostic slash atheist personality, which is the, um, that, there is a greater force of nature and life that is uncontrollable, you know, time, space, gravity. There's just things that we have entropy. I guess that is time. We have things that exist in our life that just are uh, filters of what create our, our uh, situation today. Is that a God? Probably not because that, that part, that, uh, thing doesn't have a more a sense of morality there isn't a guidelines of how you live your life so i would say that the moral um compass of an atheist or an agnostic person 
kind of is, is a lot more flexible because um, it's based on their experiences. It's based on people who they, who they met. It's based on um, a lot of different factors rather than right. a, a, a certain text. So it's an interesting thing to consider that like they, I think as far as today, I think this is like the argument for, for atheists and agnostics is like, we've existed in society. I mean, societies have existed for long enough and we now have enough uh, information that is distributable throughout society that we know what a good life looks like. We know what a bad life mm-hmm. looks like. Mm-hmm. And so it's, it's like, where does, where does religion kind of, because the, the whole thing with religion is like, there's the moral element of it and the metaphysical kind of like, we have no, we don't really know why scientifically yet. So we're just going to say it's God. And I think that door is slowly shutting more and more and more, but there's a, there may never be a fully closed door. We never know. We won't know, but maybe there is, let's say it does close. So there's still the moral element of it. Um, do you think that that will still be enough for people? Um, I, I think it, it will, but what do, you, what do you think? Do you think people will still uh, ground themselves in this religion morally? despite the fact that like you just basically prove that God doesn't exist as a moral, um, moral arbiter or, uh, not moral, but you know, like, uh, existing. You're arbiter. saying like prove scientifically, there is no God. Like if you were to do that, if humanity were to do that, mm-hmm. would we still have religion? Basically. Is that what you're asking? Basically. Yeah. 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 Uh, I think, yes, I think the whole premise of religion um extricates any scientific um like effects from it like like religion can have things in it that confirm science but science doesn't exist to confirm religion because science is intrinsically human so if religion and God is a concept so uh, high that we can't understand it. How could we use one of our tools to uh, extrapolate that God doesn't exist because yeah. science is just a human creation? Well, so is religion, the scientific though. method. You know. Well, yes, religion is in theory, but if if yeah. we were to go, if we were to say, okay, we're abiding by the rules set by religion and one of those rules like one of the rules in like any abrahamic religion is god is so mighty and all-powerful that we cannot even begin to comprehend what god is yeah so if you accept that rule and this is an integral part of faith if you accept that rule as a religious person which most religious people do that's the majority of their faith is just being like okay i'm down like you told me this um if you accept that rule, then science can't ever discredit God yeah. because God is beyond science. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, it's like, um, I mean, if even like taking it down to the kind of where there is that line, because like I was saying, like the door is, there's two doors. There's the moral element of like how to be a person, a good person. And then there's this whole, why does stuff happen? <laughs> and the answers are becoming clearer and clearer through science. But yeah, there's a lot of things that like the, the whole idea of like where thoughts come from, for example, I mean, the, 
that is still something that is totally up in the air. Neuroscience, like there's probably, I don't know the, the extent of knowledge of neuroscience, but I would have to say more than 50% of all possible knowledge in the, in the science of the brain is still just going to like, yeah, we don't know. And so it, it could very reasonably go to God. There's a lot of other things that exist in the world like that. Um, but it's an interesting, it's, it's an interesting thing to consider that um, there are, there are people though, like th there is that, that um, point you made about <clears throat> the integral element of uh, a believer in, a, in an Abrahamic religion is that they, they know that God is something so beyond the human understanding, but th there's this paradox. That is, it's also the, someone made that I concept up. It wasn't like God came down and threw that idea, but that's where, well, like I just said, ideas, we don't know where ideas, like the randomest of ideas, they come from some past experience, some understand some like the idea of wisdom, understanding what that experience does and how to extrapolate lessons, methods, all these things from that. And some, and this idea pops up in your head. God could have made that up or some answer that we haven't gotten yet. And so it's like, I'm, I'm just, what I'm trying to say is, um, honestly, this is not what I'm trying to necessarily point out, but it's more the, um, the point of like, uh, do you think, <clears throat> cause I think the, the more the, the like switching shit, uh, changing gears. I mean, the moral element of this, that is there, like I was pointing out, there's just these very archaic uh, uh, rules that, that uh, certain religions have that we just don't follow or some people try to and they fail and law goes against them. Um, but generally, most people have started in, in like the more modern you are, the more you kind of have, have filtered out and, and picked apart certain elements and go, I just this doesn't apply to me. Uh, I don't see how this, this would function for me. There's just, there's certain things. Um, and do you think that, <clears throat> that there's a point where, cause there's this idea in, in these religions that is, um, you know, you can't, you can't rewrite the scripture. You can't edit the scripture. There's nothing that can, the scripture is the scripture. Don't touch it. Let it be as it is. And that, the more time you give it, the more interpretations they're going to come from because it's going to stay the same. And there's going to be more people in this world coming through and seeing this thing going, well, I think it's pretty cool. And someone else goes, well, I think that's stupid. And, and I, you know, I'm so, like that's simplification, but um, do you think that <clears throat> with enough time, that belief that uh, we have learned a lot from time we've learned a lot from what society has granted us and we know that religion is definitely something worth worth following i think a lot of people would argue for that i i'm not obviously someone who follows religion but i totally understand people who do um i think there's like a lot of studies that indicate that a lot of good people <laughs> come from that kind of thing there's like committing less crime and a lot of other things but um would you say that there's ever going to be a, a paradigm shift with any of these, these um, any religion that's existed more than a thousand years, 2000 years? Well, yeah. I mean, I feel like this is a conversation that happens in, in every religion. 
um, because it's it's a generational thing. Like I, I'm sure that um, the Christians of 1970 were just a tad more conservative than those of the 80s and the 90s and the aughts and so on, right? Um, it's the same thing in Islam. Like you're seeing now, like openly gay Muslim people. And there's still some, I mean, my um, family is from Pakistan and you can't be gay in Pakistan. <laughs> like, it's not a thing, you know? Isn't there a thing where um, you have like, isn't not you, uh, is, I think in, there's another, a couple other countries in the Middle East as well that I think there's a huge population of transgender people because of, because of like, it's illegal to be homosexual. Yeah. That's, that's such a weird thing. Like, yeah, yeah. it's clearly not. <laughs> yeah. So it's it, it's just like people are realizing that now and like are cool with it mm-hmm. over here. But like that hasn't hit back home, you know? Yeah. Um and so it's just kind of like a matter of time in my eyes. Like and the thing that you touched on about how um it's it's bound to happen as more and more generations come into contact with this single unwavering piece of scripture i think that's why i kind of like tend towards the quran more because yes it does have like any other book like it has like these archaic things that are like obviously like ludicrous like they don't apply to today like you can tell like i kind of like how ludicrous they are because like you can easily like single out like okay like yeah we're get rid of that yeah um but i think that it's really cool that one document when you take out all the archaic shit that's like time specific can apply to life from such like varying points in time. Mm -hmm. And you can live your life that way and be a good person and abide by these rules in 1865 and in 2530, like it'll still work for you. Yeah. Um, And I think, I, I feel like that's what we should tend to. And another thing that I really like about, Islam specifically is like it's considered bad like you're not supposed to ever like look at another Muslim and the way they practice the faith and be like that's a bad Muslim like you're never allowed to make a judgment on how someone like practices the faith so like there are tons of Muslims for example like you see them especially in like the the Nova like DMV area like at hookah bars and like lounges and shit like there are a bunch of like rich like typical like you know like like lebanese kids or like you know like uh persian kids or like stuff like that who like go clubbing and like smoke weed and drink and like that's all stuff you're not supposed to do yeah but like you can't be like oh like they're bad muslims like they call themselves muslims they practice the faith in their own way like that's what they are let them be let them be. It might not be us. It might not be what we like to do, but that's not for us to judge. Mm-hmm. And like, I think that that's a really cool part of the faith where like in Christianity, like you'll see all the time, like a, a Presbyterian be like, Oh, look at those Baptists. Like so conservative. Like, you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> yeah, it's just like, not like, I don't know, at least, well, then you get into the, the whole like Shiite thing. Yeah, yeah. I would say like that's the only that's the only splintering. Like I'd say like that's the biggest um stain on the history of the religion, in my opinion. Um, it kind of takes away from the whole argument of like this is universal text and like it can only like 
be practiced one way when there's a whole splinter cell based on like political things yeah it just kind of like delegitimizes it a bit but like aside from that like i think within the sect that you're in like it's pretty like accepting like it's just i mean as a sony muslim myself like you're not like i said you're not supposed to make judgments about how other people practice the faith and i think that's great i think that Mm -hmm. that should be universal yeah i agree with that i think it's just i i think that's where i think you take um something of learned of uh, daily life, especially in the 21st century is, you know, it doesn't help to judge someone that just adds an extra weight onto, onto who you are. I think um, there's other religions that exist like that, where it goes, you have your way. I have my way. And maybe they mold, maybe they don't, but Hey, we're on the same team and that works enough for me. And I think that's, that's something that you can like connect on with someone that um, maybe is if you're a Catholic and an Episcopalian, you know, the Catholic might go weak or something like there's a reason they're kind of pinned against each other. And I, I think, obviously I don't, I don't, um, I went to a Catholic school until third grade. I don't remember much about it, but um, I mean, a lot where I live is predominantly Catholic and um I would say there's a lot of things I disagree with. There's a lot of things that I would agree with too. I think um, just like the mannerism of existence, the way they kind of go about their daily life. Um, if there's parts where I'm like, ah, that, that works. That makes sense. But there's other parts where I go, you're just, you're just not, you're, you're using it to your advantage. You're not actually using it to help you be a better person. Um, yeah, definitely. But um, so we we said we were going to talk about this, but I kind of want to like transition in a smoother way. Okay. Um, so with, cause kind of my takeaway of what our previous conversation was, I think the general thing was like identity. What, when, and like, just for people who are listening, so they understand uh, this uh, topic is that I posted something on a private um, story saying, kind of basically don't uh or yeah i don't care for people who post things saying that they have like their political views specifically because it's like where i'm from most people despise trump and i think making that a big point of um of their their uh dating apps was i think is really i didn't i think it was really simple of someone i think that's that's like following a trend i mean i had seen at this point, I had seen so many different profiles with people. This is the problem with, with this story I put up. It was like three sentences. But, um, and I said, you know, this is, I, I want to get to know you more than just what your political views are. Unless this is the only thing you can talk about, then, you know, I'm, I'll see you never. And your response was something to the effect of, um, I, it's like proposing the paradox that I am not able to look past someone because they are putting that at the forefront of who they are. And um, is that, would that be, I guess I'll let you kind of follow on. To- right. I, I mean, I just think that it, it's kind of unfair of you to be like, Hey, you can't have a political opinion. I don't care about your political opinion. And then their political opinion be the reason you don't engage with them. Do you see what I'm saying? Like, you can't yes. be like, oh, I hate, like, 
how everyone's so political. By the way, I'm not going to message you because you have this political opinion. <laughs> See, that's I, I think that's fair. That's totally fair. Um, I think my what my point was coming from just so like I think we could have a better debate with this is um, with a Tinder or a Hinge, Bumble, any sort of dating app, even your your social media app or profile, you get a very limited number of things to put up. You get in Hinge, you I think you get like four things. You get like prompts, you get pictures, and there is there's things you can talk about. I, I um, for example, there's like something. I can't even think of off the top of my head, but certain, maybe it's like acts of who you are, things you like, um, activities you enjoy to do kind of just think like basic stuff that you can relate to someone with. And while politics is something that's very like important in, in existing and as, especially in the United States, um, I think, that that's one of the things that can change the most. I think pol- political views can, you can event like someone can change their mind if they actually are willing to, you know, put enough effort into something and do enough reading and go, you know what? I don't think they're that bad. There, there is a possibility to change while, for example, you're born where you're born, your parents are who they are. You know, you, you're born into this religion or, or not you are, um, you have a skin color, <clears throat> you have a complexion, you have a voice, you have uh, certain genitalia, you have these predispositions that put you into life that are uncontrollable and there's nothing you can do about it. I mean, there's certain things that, you know, you can you change the, like, what you identify with, but for the most part, there is a, there's a lot of things that you just not can't, you can't do much about. And I think one of them one of the things that you can do a lot about is like your favorite food. You can actually change that. That can happen when you discover a new food. Same thing can happen with political views. So when someone uh, puts up their, uh, their dis- uh, what is it? Um, despising of Trump, I, I just think, <clears throat> one, I think a lot of people do for good reason. So I'm not, you know, I'm not... Uh, delegitimizing that belief. But I also think because I'd seen it so many times, like there was a point, I didn't just say it because I saw it once and I was like, you know, that's stupid. I, I had, I had my reasons because I had actually seen so many people put up, you know, punch a Trump supporter, it's like things I'd love to do, punch a Trump supporter or, uh, you know, fight a conservative. This is like things that it was, there was a trend there that I'd seen. And I had seen that enough where I was like, Honestly, there have to be like a good portion of these people who are just saying it because they know their friends are saying it. And they know that a lot of people would probably just agree with them because it's a reflexive thing that's easy to do. It's very easy to hate the guy. I don't like him. I don't like Donald Trump. I didn't, I don't hate him because I don't know enough about that kind of thing. So I didn't really let myself just make an opinion on the person. Um, while I saw a lot of things that I would say I'm more on the against, like easily, it's not a, it's not like a, a big deal. So like, just to make that clear, cause it's not, seems like a hot topic with a lot of my friends, but I'm not also just going to go, yeah, fuck Trump. Yeah. Like it's not, I'm not that I'm not, I don't jump on board. So that's, that's where I felt like it was the problem to, for me was people 
just doing it because for the clicks, for the, the fact that someone will swipe with or agree with that. I think that's where I was um, that. I think that was the point I was trying to make. I mean, yeah, I, I get where you're coming from. Um, that's not how I read your story. I mean, yeah. obviously you just took like seven to 10 minutes to explain <laughs> that. Um, so I don't know. I, I, I just thought that what you put, obviously it's your private story, put whatever the hell you want on it. I, um, yeah. I, I was just swiping up to say that it was a bit hypocritical in, in my eyes. Cause like I said, it's just like, you can't complain about, Oh, uh, I'm non-political and then be like, yeah, but you people with this political belief, like no to you. Like, Oh, well that's, that's also the different thing. I am a political, but I think it could have gone the other way. It could have said like punch a liberal, like fight Biden. I don't. And it, it shouldn't matter either way yeah. is my point. My point yeah. is if you're truly apolitical, it would matter to you if it said either. Um, but the fact that, it did. I mean, and you cited that like, oh, a lot of people said it. That might make them basic or like, you know, um, mainstream or whatever term you want to sheeple, whatever you want to call them. <laughs> like, um, but aside from that, like, I, I don't necessarily I mean, if it's something that's considered like, like, I would I would say the whole punch of Trump supporter bio thing, like you said, is just a neutral, safe choice for a dating app where, you know, like, OK, what are some safe things that I can say that most people would agree with? I think if there were dating apps like back in like the eighties, like people would say things along the lines of like, I don't know, like kick a child molester or something like just like a universal statement. That's like super yeah. basic. Like you said, like it's, it's just kind of like something that anyone can get by and like, yeah, okay, I get it. Um, I think that's the only fault of those people. Um, I don't think necessarily all of them are like really, really political even like, I think you, you'll find even that like a, a lot of them aren't even that political. They just wrote that because they knew it was something that was safe yeah. to write. Yeah. Um, and so that's why I, I didn't think it was something that, that like, if I were an apolitical person on a dating app, I wouldn't be like, bothered by that i'd just be like mm -hmm. oh, okay like this is how i see it yeah i think i think that's how i saw it more than anything was what you pointed out about that basic kind of simple thing to say like you're like the context of the 80s of the child molester thing i think it's the same thing i think it felt like yeah these people that's actually how i should <laughs> i should have put it up these people may not be very political but because it was common it was easy it was a basic thing to say i think that's where i saw it i saw it as like a simple um filler it's like saying like and um it, it was just you know you can do it you say it and you won't offend anyone and you won't piss anyone off you might piss some people off but you know what i'm saying like it clearly bothered me enough to, to mention it um but so with this and, and like i said i said before the podcast this concept of identity um and how obviously there are dating, they are dating apps, social media uh, profiles, whatever. These aren't like your full identity of who you are. But I mean, if you go on Hinge, like you get where they're from, where they are living, their height, their religion, like you can put in a lot more of your, your certain thing. Like if you drink, you smoke weed, you smoke cigarettes, you do drugs, like they, they ask you for that kind of thing. So there's like, you get a bit more information than you did if you went on someone's Instagram. And um, 
I we can criticize those all we all we want because they're just dating apps. They're they're not you know looking into like the philosophy of who this person is. But as far as um, the, and this actually goes back to you know your identity as as a agnostic person you know practicing Ramadan. What would be the criteria? And this is like a tough question, I guess. If, if you had to list off all the criteria, but if you were to kind of generally find a cate- certain categories of of a person who they are. What would be that criteria for the, the identity of that individual? Uh, what what individual are you asking me about? Just anyone. I mean, because it can be. Uh, I guess I can. Let me let me elaborate a little more. Because there's a lot of people, for example, who um, are really really identify with their skin color. And when I say that, I, I don't mean like, um, for example, there's a lot of people that say like, as a person of color they'll start with that and then kind of give their point of view. So you're straight off the bat, like have a, have that established position or perspective and go from there. For example, if me, if you were to ask me something like that, I would say as Nico, I wouldn't say this, but <laughs> the alternative would be as Nico, I would say, and, and kind of give my perspective on something. So there's certain aspects of me who that I identify with more. So for example, my mom's from Argentina, my dad's from the United States. So I have that right there that I go, I'm bilingual. I, I have, uh, I don't have dual citizenship yet, but that's working. I was working on it. And, um, but there's, there's that element of my, of who I am. So I, I speak Spanish and I speak English fluently and um, I have a lot of family in Argentina. So that, that's a big, I think a big part of my identity. Then there's like my, uh, <clears throat> I haven't thought about this much. My, the, the way I am as a person. So I have ADHD, but that doesn't dominate who I am. There's, that's a past. That's like a part of who I am. I think there's also the fact that I, I try to be a creative thinker. I try to, um, I try to be promotional of ideas. I try to let people make their point as much as they can and let them have a, pl- have a positioning on something without being judged, even though, and even if they are just, I think they should be able to push through the judgment and actually allow, allow themselves to have an opinion on something. So kind of the free speech, free mind, free thinking person. I try to ad- identify with that. I identify with like the, the whole libertarian, I guess. I don't know enough about libertarianism, but I think it's like, do your thing. I'll do mine. If that was at base at basic. I don't know though, so I don't know if it's libertarian, but I would say that that would be another part of um, who I am as a person. Uh, another part of it is that, like, uncontrollable. I uh, I'm from I'm from Maryland. Like that's that's something that I didn't decide. I I think you know, I love my family, so that's another thing I didn't decide. I have curly brown hair. That's another part of my identity that I, I like really think about a lot. That is something that I didn't choose. Um, I can change my hair color, you know, I can disassociate from my family, I can start becoming much more of like, as a white man kind of guy, I can start saying as a, as a, as a male, I can start, I can maybe identify if, you know, I did not feel comfortable in my own skin, in my own gender, I could, you know, re- reshift the priorities of who I am. So there is a lot of things that create a person's identity. But I guess I'll just say for you, like who, what is the criteria when you look at the Saeed Akhtar and you go, um, 
and you try to say like, who are, who is this person? And there's these, there's all these aspects of who you are. Some of them, you know, you may not care so much about other things you do care about. What are those for you? Um, so wait, so are, are you asking me like, it wasn't a general criteria, but what, what would you say like is the categories of, or yeah, of that define who you are, not necessarily like the fact that you are practicing Muslim, but. Oh, okay. You uh, so you're, you're trying to get me to define my identity. Is that what you're asking? In, in, in general, yes. Okay. So I would say, um, or, I don't or know actually, if this is in any particular order, but sure. I would definitely say uh, Pakistani American in the sense that I'm American. Like I've, been here my whole life grew up here i'm a citizen but uh my household is like pakistani american because my parents are american as well but like they actually live somewhere that wasn't here Mm -hmm. um so i would say my upbringing and kind of like my cultural background is pakistani american um even though i'm not really a pakistani american i'm just an american um I would also say um, straight male, like that is what I identify with. Um, and yeah, I, I, I kind of think in like broad terms, like I, I really yeah. don't try to um, like even terms like you, you said, like free thinker or um, any labels like that. Like I, I really just try to just be myself Every day it sounds corny, but yeah, yeah. Um, I I don't really have a. If I did have to put one more label, I'd say maybe stoic. I really identify with stoicism. Dude, I've been, uh, it, I've started practicing but, stoicism. Yeah, reading about it and stuff. It's a very interesting philosophy, philosophy of life, way to experience things, and um, yeah, that's an interesting. I. I wouldn't see, I think the problem with this kind of thing is that you have to put yourself in like certain boxes, you know, straight male, Pakistani American, um, stoic like that. Oh, which philosophy would you follow the most? Um, when I say free thinker, I think the whole thing is that it's not, um, that cause even then that goes, well, what about, you know, free act like I, I don't know there's there's something missing out of that i think what i i've like trying to i've seeing how i am uh and seeing what i've seen most effective is like most open um and i think actually <laughs> now that you brought you you brought it up uh was the stoic element of that because um that as far as what i've learned of stoicism uh, there's, they're pretty open to experience. They're open to learning new things, trying things out and um, not letting their sense of self, you know, um, emotion get in the way of that experience. Uh, I think that's been, that's been like the biggest focus is um, trying not to, trying to separate myself from these things that I can actually take control of, but can also take control of me. Um, so it, it's, it's a whole thing. I was just thinking about with um, 
you know, you, you as a practice practicing Ramadan, but generally being an agnostic. And then there's also the element of this, these, um, the profiles that people put on social media and all this stuff and how it's like, do you, is that really a thing of who you are? Like you wouldn't have said, and I like avid Trump hater or avid Trump supporter, avid Republican. I don't know many people unless they are super wrapped up in politics, but generally most people are pretty apolitical. They kind of fit things as, as they come. They're pretty circumstantial. You go, well, this, you know, I agree with this take, you know, I think abortion, you know, we should have it or we shouldn't like there's, there's things you kind of take them as you come. There's some people though, that are pretty aligned with their whole ideology and, you know, can't really do much about them. I mean, you can try, try to help them out, but as far as um, where they, their, their, their identity is wrapped up more so in that politics in the political element of it. So and I was just a, it was just like an interesting thought that I had really not dug into before was how, like what, um, yeah. What is the criteria of like how you define yourself? Because is it, is it these things that you have no control? Wait, so over, are, are you it... saying that what someone puts in their no, no, is I'm not saying it's, no, I'm saying, I was just saying like, that's the narrowest, that's like the most basic version of what it is, but it made me think like, expand it to actually who they are. Let's say that was the real identity of who they are. That's what I'm trying to say. I'm not trying to say that, you know, you are going to fully understand a person through their, through their Tinder profile. Like you're just not, that's not how, right. luckily you won't because people are way more nuanced than that. Um, and that's saying that's the beauty of everything, but I, I've seen like generally that people think that, you know, you, you, that's, that's kind of what uh, I just figured it out. If you, uh, there's this general idea, like if you believe one thing, you, you can check off all these other boxes about this person, because I will guarantee you that they also believe all these other things. And, um, like I was just trying to identify my, I trying to find like what I identify with and what you, and you were saying the same thing. Like, it's not as easy as people think. So why would it be easy to um, kind of generalize the entire existence of a person? Um, I think that it, people are just way more complex than they think. I mean, as far as how, uh, how they see themselves every day. I mean, it changes. I see myself as, you know, a very, I sometimes I think see myself as like a strong person, a willing to learn person. Sometimes I think I'm just an asshole. Fuck everyone. Like there, there are days like that. And that in the fact that that can occur, I, I know for a fact people have good days and bad days and they have senses of self that totally change. Um, and this goes back to my whole thing about let's say take away the dating app thing. Let's say I go up to someone and I meet that person and I'm trying to interact with this person, not for any particular reason, just for the sake of uh, connecting with another human being. Um, how would you let, like I go up to you say, and I say, say, uh, or hi, I'm Nico. Uh, what's your name? And you say your name. And then I say, you know, that's cool, <laughs> whatever it is that I say, but I, I try to, I basically like propose, like, what do you, who are you? Who is this person outside of his name? And it tends to be 
a hard a, a question to answer because mm-hmm. especially at, at 20 years old, I mean, but lived two decades of our lives. We've actually lived consciously. I've kind of come to realize this like three years, four years of my life, like genuinely conscious. I've gathered information over the last like 18 years of my life or uh, 17 years of my life. But between like 18, 19, I went like, oh, this is how the world works. And it, it wasn't, it wasn't like I was stupid back then. It wasn't that I was, it was, I was a teenage boy and I'm still 20 years old. I'm still nowhere near fully developed as an individual. And that's why it's, it's like, I said free thinker and like that kind of sits with everything that applies to just about everything because I don't know. I don't identify with a religion. I don't identify with a specific culture or sport or, um, you know, philosophy, whatever it may be, uh, political affiliation. I don't identify fully yet because I'm still figuring it out. And um, I don't know what my point was, but it was generally like that that whole element of nuance of, of a person and how it's, it's really hard to simplify someone. Um, I, I don't know. What do you, what do you think of that kind of sentiment? I agree. Yeah. I, I would say that I, I fall in a very similar camp where I'm still just trying to figure things out, just trying to understand uh, what I want really and what defines me um, and how I want to define the rest of my life. Mm-hmm. So when you say you're a stoic, how would how to how does that play in your life? I just think that a lot of stoicism is being able to understand that you're going to eat shit every day. And I think as someone who's had to eat shit in various ways throughout my life, um, it's just a good philosophy to ground yourself in because it gives you perspective and it just kind of makes you think, okay, every day is the same. Time to eat this is today. the worst day. Yeah. This is the worst day ever. Just like tomorrow is going to be the worst day ever, which makes both today and tomorrow the best day ever. Yeah. Yeah. I guess it's like not necessarily because there's a difference there. Some people misinterpret this and they go, um, you know, I had a bad morning, so I'm going to have a bad day. That's different than saying it's going to suck because then you, you have now established a low expectation for what's going to happen. So the bar, the, the room for improvement is beyond comprehension. That makes it, that makes this kind of experience, even the little things, you know, someone hands sure. you a coffee at Starbucks, like you go, thank you. And that actually can have a profound like influence on who you are. Even if it's even if it's like a very basic thing, I think that's a it's an interesting way to put it though. Like eat shit is like how it's gonna happen, and what you do with it is kind of up to you. So what um with that you know let's say you do eat shit one day, um do you see that having not like a an effect on you? But how do you how do you kind of try to work that? Uh, work around it, work through it. You know, there's, there's a lot of different practices with that. Right. Um, for me, like I really took like a lot of my uh, like inner turmoil or like anything that I have to face 
um, emotionally and I, I try to put it into like activities. So like, uh, for example, like working out, like doing pushups or uh, pull-ups or I have a punching bag that I got. Nice. Um, so I either work out um, or lately and this kind of happened um, with the advent of the pandemic, um, I started getting back into gaming. So we actually became friends through mm -hmm. gaming, but yeah. throughout uh, most of my high school, I didn't really play console games because I was really serious um, academically and there was always a lot of pressure um, from my parents to, to do well in school. Um, and so freshman through senior year, I didn't really play on my PlayStation or Xbox. Like I would play Minecraft sometimes on my like school Mac. Yeah. But aside from that, like I had taken a break from doing something that I used to love to do in middle school, like in middle school. Um, and Alex can tell you this, um, but um, I used to play like Halo and Call of Duty all the time. And I was mm -hmm. nasty at it. <laughs> um, and I think my parents saw that, like, I was so good that I could just spend a whole weekend like like this like in front of the tv yeah. that they they kind of saw like okay like we need to get rid of this um so like i just i didn't play during high school yeah um and recently i, I started playing again and that's been a really good outlet for me um just i think also like with with the amount of free time that everyone's had and the amount of just cabin fever and like everyone's just been stuck in their homes. I think gaming itself has had a real resurgence. Um, and I think this is going to be a really positive like decade going forward um, for gaming in general. Mm -hmm. um, just because like I myself recently got really into the competitive side of, of call of duty. Um, and there's, there's a whole like franchise league, um like with i think 12 different teams they have like atlanta chicago um cities across the u.s um and they even have a london team and a paris team wow um and it's a bona fide league um and it's they're they're, they're trying to to build it to be the uh the first great american esport um because i don't know how much you know about esports but uh over in uh mm -hmm. South Korea and in Japan um, with games like League of Legends um, or like Overwatch, Counter-Strike, um, like your traditional like computer games that people play. Um, it's a really big scene. Uh, another one is, I forget the name, uh, but Dota. Uh, mm -hmm. Dota is actually like one of the largest ones. It's, it's kind of like League of Legends, um, one of those real-time um, multiplayer online battle arena games is what they're yeah. called, MOBAs. Um, and over there, it's like a phenomenon, right? Like you have these arenas, people are playing for millions of dollars. Um, that's how it is. Um, over here, um, we had, uh, obviously you've heard the term MLG um, from back in the day. Yeah. Uh, there was MLG, MLG Circuit, um, which was Major League Gaming. And, you know, they had like LAN tournaments, which were, you know, these in-person tournaments, they usually like have like an open bracket and like a competitive bracket with like established teams. Um, 
And it was essentially like any other like chess tournament or tournament like that. Like people came to a rec center, they played, the top teams got broadcasted, stuff like that, broadcast. Mm. Um, and it's evolved over the years into what is now a franchise league. Um, and just kind of like keeping an eye on like the more business side of things. Cause I think that's what really excites me um, about it. Uh, you're starting to see some very prominent people. I mean, if you're familiar at all with like Gary V Gary Vaynerchuk, mm-hmm. um, he is one of the, uh, I think minority owners um, in one of the franchise teams in this league, uh, the Minnesota rocker, I think. And he's like part of an ownership group with like this large uh, VC firm and uh, like family office. And you start to look at like who owns these teams, who is, you know, getting in the mix in esports in America. And you start to look at the ownership groups and you start to see, huh, Shaq is invested (laughs) in this call of duty team. Aaron (laughs) Rodriguez. Uh, What is the owner of, the Sacramento Kings doing with an overwatch. You know what I mean? Yeah, like yeah. you start to look at who's putting their money into this and you start to see like, this is kind of like the next, next thing. Like people are anticipating this to be UFC all over again. Yeah. Uh, and it really took a big hit cause they were, they're trying to launch this whole thing and then COVID happened. So one of the, main draws of, of building esports as a, a concept was these big arena events. And they actually just recently built an arena uh, in DC for, we have an overwatch team. I, I just found out about this because um, I've been doing some of my research because I was interested in uh, getting into the business side of, of this. And uh, yeah, we have an arena and an overwatch team and they were planning to have like, multiple thousands of fans at events this year to like watch them play a video game. Wow. And like the viewership is there. Like it's, it's not like the numbers don't work. It's just, it was unfortunate with the timing of the pandemic and, and whatnot. Um, But like, yeah, just, I I went on a long tangent, but getting back into gaming was um, a really big thing for me to, like I said, like have an outlet, I think one of the things about stoicism is understanding that things are going to suck, but finding ways to overcome. And I think outlets are a really big part of that. And I think everyone should have their own passions um, to, to put themselves in and, and throw themselves into. Um, because an interesting, I mean, if you even just look at the word passion, it's derived from a Latin verb that means to suffer. So if you're truly passionate that. about something, it means that you're putting some of your suffering into it. Like that's the extent to which you yeah. care about it. Um, and to some people it's playing a game to other people. It's a sport to other people. It's this other people. It's that I just think everyone should have something they're passionate about. And I think that's philosophically um, a big part of my identity. Like I, I like to have passions and I don't really agree with this idea of living your life completely for others. I think you should live for others. And I think you should provide for your family and your friends and 
you should be a good stalwart member of your community, but I don't think life is worth living without passion. Like, I think you should indulge in what drives you and what burns that fire inside you. And whether it is like, I don't know, being the best politician or athlete or X, Y, Z. Like I, I really admire people who capitalize on their passion. Yeah. And that's, that's someone who I strive to be. Like, I really want to be someone at the end of the day. Like when I look back at my life, I want to be like, Hey, I was passionate about something and I pursued it. I didn't just allow myself to be another little jigsaw piece in this universal puzzle. Yeah. Well, I think that's um, a couple of points there actually really interesting. You, you brought up was one of them was the, um, that, uh, well, it goes back to like religion. Have If you follow religion, you're kind of more on seat. You're kind of a, a piece in a puzzle versus the whole idea of, of like atheistic, and agnostic living is more of the individual. And I think what you've done, and I think this is like what I've been trying to find a lot of is a balance between, um, you know, living for yourself, but living for others too. And it's not one or the other, it's kind of using both, you know, having passions, um, you know, driving to be the best of yourself. And as a byproduct of that, that helps other people, you know, uh, works with people and does, and, you know, becomes a, um, a functional part of society. Um, but about gaming. So streaming has become a huge part. You were talking about how, you know, DC built a stadium and there's all these franchise teams now for call of duty and how it's been a thing in other parts of the world. Um, I remember there was like, uh, I think it was Fortnite. They, they had, they had like a, um, I think it was a LAN, uh, LAN, uh, you know, tournament, I think that they host it. I think they've had it for FIFA too. And those, those are pretty interesting, but the whole concept of streaming since COVID kind of the unfortunate, but a great backside of it has been this, this up in streaming. I mean, a lot of gamers, especially you, you're one of them who, uh, who streams and you're nasty. So it's not like it's a boring watch. Um, but yeah, there's there's a lot of people nowadays that are that are making like a good amount of money off of streaming. That I think that was not it was a thing back then. You know, there was like Ninja. There's a couple guys. Um, I just know Ninja because that's like the popular name. There's there's a lot of other people out there who were pretty successful going PewDiePie coming into this kind of thing. And then it real once everyone's kind of stuck at home, uh, there was a big opportunity there for for. Um, for streaming to come up. And I think that like you were saying about outlets, having an outlet, I think so many people were occupied in their jobs and they weren't really passionate about those jobs. They were just doing it for the money and it was just giving them a home and insurance and all this stuff. Um, it wasn't, it wasn't as secure as, as far as like a sense of self created from, from like being a really good gamer and really enjoying what you do and being able to make profit off of that. I think in the next like decades um but within this decade that's gonna really that paradigm of um watching and uh performing live for for something i guess like sports it's probably gonna stay the same as far as physical sports but i think esports and how how it's already growing as it is but i think you won't necessarily need to show up 
to a to a stadium when you can go online you can maybe pay a, a you can have a paywall and you pay like five dollars to watch and you get millions of people watching a stream um that's a really interesting thing because it's like bringing up that going back to the aspect of passions and um you know there's i, I had a con i had a really interesting conversation with this guy uh a week ago yeah it was last friday we yeah like not this recent the last one we i went to uh into town and i went to get breakfast it was like 11 so it was pretty late breakfast at this point but so it was pretty packed also um and there was this one guy who had just sat down at a booth and the waitress i had just come in i'd been in there for like five minutes and this waitress just asked like, would you want to sit with him? He's willing to share. I was like, you know what? Screw it. It's, it's not, I think with COVID, like I was, I was at that point, I was so hungry. Uh, I'm not going to justify it. You know what? I just sat down with a random guy and we talked and we talked about this whole aspect of passions and having outlet. It wasn't like those two words used, but um, having something that keeps you going every day. And that is, um, balancing out the shit, the, the stuff that just, you know, it comes at you, it's inevitable, but it, uh, but you, you know, it, it's going to happen. You know, there's going to be bad moments. Things never go smoothly 100% of the time. And uh, yeah, it was interesting because this guy was a coal train driver. And so he had, he had like four different places where he was really stopping, but twice a month he could come to this place and he would come and uh, have, have breakfast here. And he was talking about how he has, because of the job that he has, which he used to enjoy, he has really lost his passion for it. And so he has all these hobbies outside of him, outside of that. And I was like, so what is really keeping you kind of staying in this job and continuing to work? Cause he was in his mid to late sixties. So at this point he's soon to retire. And he was like, no, just my hobbies, you know, having, having something to do. I can't, I can't remember what the top of my head was doing. I think it was like woodwork. It was really interesting. I mean, it had something that had nothing to do with coal train driving as far as the mechanics, electrical stuff. And um, I mean, I guess like speed control, just so many other things with, with uh, driving a train that it was something totally unrelated. And, but I also felt bad for the guy because it wasn't like they're totally, he had a couple other passions that were just totally separate from, from what the job was. And, um, and this kind of goes back to this whole streaming, becoming a job, you know, being able to play games and actually making a profit off of it and being able to uh, sustain your life like that. And it, and it's a passion for many people. Um, and I, I was just thinking like, what do you think of how, um, that will change, you know, people who are stuck in a job. And I think that opportunity, like there's probably going to be other things where you're going to be able to have a significant profit financially, but also spiritually from a passion. Um, but I think a big one right now is playing video games. I mean, the whole concept of video games is that it's a game. It's not a sport. It's not a, I mean, it is now, but it wasn't considered a sport. It wasn't considered a, um, a viable profession and now it is um and i think that's a beautiful thing because that's something that was kind of inevitable but covid really pushed the envelope to go well you're stuck so you might as well you know um yeah uh i think for me personally like the reason i gravitated towards call of duty specifically is 
I love to compete. Like I think competition is one of my greatest passions. Um, whether that be in actual sports or um, in trivia, I did um, Kurtaman, which is like Latin based trivia for years and years um, throughout high school and middle school and quiz bowl a little. And obviously I was on jeopardy. Um, so like, I, I've always liked competition. Um, and I think just having an outlet to compete is great. Um, and I think that more people should have that, especially if you're a competitive person. Like I think start playing chess with your buddy or do whatever. If you like to play tennis, start playing tennis, um, go to a, a rec center, play basketball. Like, I don't know if rec centers are still open, but <laughs> you know, stuff like that. Like I, yeah. to me, it's um, a recreation, but more than that, it's like I said, it's an outlet. Um, it's a great way for me to, to keep a sense of competition in my life um, and kind of like scratch an itch for, for lack of a better term. Um, and I've honestly just been, lucky during covid just because everyone's been forced to be at home and um i've had an abundance of time with online classes and stuff uh i've just been able to just play a lot more than i would have um and that's opened the door for me to you know start competing and pursuing it kind of like as a, a side thing um and so i'm i'm, I'm grateful for that honestly because yeah. um, I think I needed uh, something like that uh, to to scratch that competitive itch, for lack of a better term. Like I think it's uh, a great way for people to to compete for years and years. Like we, we don't even know the ceiling at which um, people will be doing it at the professional level, just because all the current professionals are so young. Mm-hmm. I mean, like an old esports professional right now is like twenty eight. You know. Oh max 30 yeah yeah Yeah. no yeah that's a whole um that whole idea of competition too because like i try to think of myself pretty competitive too but what you described like the the quiz bowl jeopardy um katana these different uh aspects of competition are more the cognitive side of things. They're more like, can you remember something? Can you articulate it? Can you answer this question correctly in in a certain amount of time? Well, my side of competition, well, some of it is, is this kind of um, not cognitive, but more like thoughtful thing versus uh, what I was more into was just sports. I've played sports my whole life. Um, This is, the longest I've spent not playing in an organized game and it sucks, <laughs> but um, this, what COVID has done. And, and like you were saying about how um, <clears throat> it's itched, it itched a part of, or it scratched an itch that you had uh, for competition and something that um, I think I, I, I mean, you, you saw me play. I mean, I was, I'm garbage at call of duty, but I was fine. I'm fine at FIFA. You know, I like to play FIFA, but it's not something that I'm, good enough at or necessarily willing to work enough at Mm -hmm. um because of just like my where i prioritize myself um i've always thought as video games as it's just like video games and right nothing more nothing less i um i think i i 
my biggest thing about these kinds of things when describing something where it like may, may, maybe some people disagree with me about, you know, how to treat a video game is that I don't disrespect people who play hours and hours of video games. And when they're really good and when they're streaming maybe, or when they're trying to, you know, make this a bigger part of their life, I don't care. And like, I don't, as in, I don't have a negative thought towards that. I think that is amazing. Do that. I appreciate that you're doing that because that gives more people a chance to have more kinds of opportunities outside of just, you know, reading, doing, doing exercise, you know, um, other things, you know, that, that were kind of the more basic of, uh, occupation or not occupations of, um, occupying, uh, activities. So, um, yeah, it was interesting, like the way you described com- competition, because, yeah, I haven't I mean, I totally relate that it was something that has been missing for me for a while. And I mean, I'm still kind of not having it. I mean, I don't really get to watch many sports because of how much work I'm doing. And um, as far as the work, I try to like frame it in a way, but it just doesn't it doesn't really work because it's me against, you know, a cow and like I'm going to win because it's a cow as far as, you know, trying to get them to go a place or if I wrestle them, I might get my ass kicked sometimes, but um, yeah, it's a weird, uh, it's a weird thing to, that you were able to not weird. It's a beautiful thing that you were able to find that um, through something that was kind of on the rise. No, not kind of, it was on the rise kind of leading up to COVID and now COVID just really exponentially rose that, the the use of it and the commitment to it and everything and how how much it's developed since then um and uh i was wondering like how much has um you know playing video games and i guess since covid really how much has your life really changed you know because obviously online school was a big thing that happened to a lot of people um maybe going out i don't know what i as far as i mean we met i've met you like two years ago through uh, Alex. And then it was kind of passive interact, mostly just like when we, when we really started, you know, talking was through video games. And um, so I'm not outside of, outside of that. And like knowing that you're a student and I, you got your associate's degree or you were still in the process of doing that. Yeah. Got my associates. Nice. Nice. Um, and so, yeah, I, uh, I guess what you're you're trying to ask is like how how much of my has my life changed with like the the reintroduction of of games and I, yeah. I will say that like um it's definitely definitely takes a lot out of you to try and be good which is what I'm trying to do right now I'm trying to mm-hmm. any spare time I have like in the evenings I try to play and uh I have a team and all that and we we play seriously and it's uh you know, it's just like practicing for, for anything else. It's, it's mentally draining. And um, when you want to compete at a high level, um, especially in, in Call of Duty, there's a lot of aspects that, that need to be there. First of all, like physically, like you need to be sharp. Like your reaction time has got to be there. Your, um, your hands, you know, have to be warm. You have to make sure you stretch. Like a lot of people develop as funny as it sounds like carpal tunnel yeah, or yeah. like mess up their fingers or their nerves um, because the way they play is just abusive to their hands. Yeah. Um, 
So you have to make sure you're taking care of your hands. You have to make sure you're, you're hydrated. So that you're, you know, functioning, um, like a, in the couple, I mean, I've, I've only recently gotten kind of serious about being competitive. Um, but I've quickly learned that like, you know, it, it, it takes a lot of effort. Like that's why not everyone is just out there being like, huh, I'll just get really good at video games. Yeah. Um, especially a game like this that, you know, like over a hundred million play, a uh, hundred million people play this game. Um, and I would say I'm, I'm very good at it. Um, but I think what, what differentiates, especially in, in competition is um, what differentiates a good team from uh, a great team would be the preparation. Like with a game like Call of Duty, it's a 4v4 game. So there's a lot of strategy that goes into it. You play different game modes. I mean, you and I have played Search and Destroy together before. I mean, think about that. But like when you've had the opportunity to like watch film on the other team, like see them play through a certain map and be like, yeah, this guy, he likes to go here. That guy likes to go there Uh, at about a minute. They do this. um, So be ready for that. Like it's, at, at the competitive level, it's a serious endeavor. Um, and, and seeing that like made me really happy because I just thought to myself, like, I didn't even know this existed. Like if I had known this that existed in high school, I would have been doing this shit. Cause like, <laughs> it's just, it's just awesome to me. Like you get to like, in a, intimate environment i mean in an actual tournament like when they're having actual tournaments you're playing like across the table from people and like aside from like maybe like gears of war which is another game mm-hmm. call of duty has like the biggest culture of like smack talk and like trash talk like when you beat a team like it's not just like fist bumps and like gg it's like <laughs> i own you like, i'm your father i'm still gonna give you a fist bump and say good game yeah but just know that i am your biological father <laughs> like like and just like yeah. that whole air of just i mean it, it, the whole scene is just filled with egos and drama and it's just about who's the best mm. and everyone wants to be the best and that that just environment is an environment i feel really at home in like i love striving for excellence and everyone around you is doing the exact same everyone is just as nerdy about all the spots having their headsets cranked uh shooting 150 to 200 bots before they even play an online game to make sure their shot is on like you know what i mean like it's just like that that kind of endeavor like i love it and I've, i've gotten exposed to so many different people who i'd never interact with in real life like none of my real friends like all my real friends are kind of just like me they grew up in a decent area went to a good school went to college right Mm -hmm. i mean there's nothing wrong with that it's just i've gotten to meet like one of my teammates for example um he's the same age as me but he's the assistant manager at a tire shop and like that's his life and like that's awesome like his life his whole path it might've been similar to mine, but it was different enough for me to be like, I recognize you, but also like, I am fascinated by you. Like, I'm like so happy that there are more people out there who are not like me. Like it's just awesome. And just interacting with people online, like sometimes like we'll play a team and they'll just be clearly from a different country. Mm -hmm. 
like one time we played this team, they were clearly from somewhere in South America, not only because of their accents, but also because we were pinging like a thousand, like the, their servers must've been in like the Caribbean or something. Like <laughs> it was far away. Um, but I don't know. It's just super cool. Like having this online community and you get to meet a lot of people who in real life are really introverted or, you know, don't necessarily like I've always considered myself to be comfortable in social situations, but I know a lot of people, uh, especially a lot of people who play games who don't really feel comfortable sharing anything about themselves or um, drawing attention to themselves. But in the game where they're absolutely disgusting, they have a completely different persona about like they have a new life to the way that they speak and the way that they act. And I just think that's great. Like, I think it's great to have an environment um, for people to be themselves in. Um, And that's not necessarily what it was for me, but it was really eye-opening to just make so many friends um, in like during the pandemic. I mean, I I introduced you to a a couple of my friends, like that one guy, Zach from New York, like he was just some random guy. Alex and I met in a call of duty, like public match. Yeah. We just hit it off. And now like I have his number, like (laughs) we've been friends for years at this point. Yeah. Like, not that he knows every intimate detail of my life, but he's a friend that I never would have made outside of this community. Yeah. Um, so I don't know. I, just that and also the, the whole competition thing, that's that's what kind of drives me. And um, yeah, I'm I'm really excited about about the future of the community. And um, I, I don't know if I if I ever mentioned this to you, but I'm actually working on a startup. Uh, right now, I have a business partner um, right. in the space, um, and we're we're basically trying to build um, the next great esports organization. But more than that, um, but maybe next time we can do a whole podcast about that. Yeah, I'm definitely interested in that. That sounds like a really cool thing and a worthwhile endeavor. I think that's like ripe for the picking, for sure. Right. Um. The uh, you were talking about oh well the, the future of, of gaming one um thought I've had because you're a computer science major correct yes so that doesn't obviously you're not like I mean actually I have no idea I don't know how well versed you are in the aspect of gaming when when it comes to the computer sciences but I uh, I randomly got like an ad on YouTube one time um that. Uh, was it was a company called Virtuix, I believe, and it was this mm-hmm. this um, you basically have like a it's not like a treadmill, but there's like a platform you stand on that kind of is multi directional, and then there's this kind of spine thing that comes up from above, and it and it has a it has a headset on. I, I can't remember if it has a head spine or not, but there is this kind of multi dimensional aspect, and you can hold some kind of controller, and and that right there for me seemed like the first step. In, in what is the possibility of right. what gaming can become, you know, with the, the right. existence of AI mixing that in and then right. uh, virtual reality and how all these things kind of are coming together. How do you see that playing into this, this like the future of, of professional gaming? I, I think that's a, it's a huge question mark, but also I think you're completely right. And I think a lot of people are afraid to admit it because especially in, in the call of duty scene i mean they still use controllers um they use computers pc um to to drive the game now uh, up yeah. until last year i think they were on console 
Um, but they've, they've made the switch and now they're on PCs like most other, you know, high end games, but they're still using controllers. And I, myself, I play on a controller, um, just because, you know, that's how most kids were introduced to the game. Like that is the peripheral of choice. Um, and you know, there's some game specific things as to why it's clunky to move around with the arrow keys and stuff like that. But I think that peripherals, like what you're talking about, like maybe with like a gyroscope, and like you know, like one of those little treadmill um, harness type things, yeah. Um, to you know, actually track your movement, um, and VR or even AR, um, mm-hmm. I think that is definitely the future of of what gaming is going to look like. And with devices like Neuralink and you know this idea of of having like an interface like with the actual brain, yeah. Um, I That's think a phenomenal thing too. I think the unity between like human movement and like what the game reads is is definitely the future like i think in the next 20 years we're going to start to see the technology head that way because it's really the only frontier left i feel Um, connection between right because if if you look at if you look at the actual technology and what's displayed on the screen and like the performance i mean it's ludicrous like it's yeah we can basically recreate reality with pixels at this point like you yeah a, a high definition like 8k screen with a triple a video game can look like real life yeah yeah it's a fascinating it's a fascinating direction that uh has been kind of we've seen for most people and as uh or at least most people who have are in the in the know of this kind of stuff um but yeah, this is uh this has been a fascinating conversation, uh, Said. I'm really glad to get to talk to you, man. I've been wanting to do this for a long time, but I'm finally glad that we got to. And um, yeah, thank you for coming on. You got anything else I'd like to mention? Oh, um, it was great talking to you. Um, I hope we can do this sometime again soon. Um, and you know, it was it was a blast. For sure, for sure. Yeah, hopefully when when I'm back home, we can get a, a live podcast and get that more person-to-person interaction but this was this is a lot of fun yeah for yeah. sure for sure well uh looking forward to the the next conversation and hopefully the next pro clubs matches yes so, for sure yes, we need to get back yes. on that for sure yes. all right see you Great. guys